This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're always looking for new ideas and topics from our listeners, so please reach out, share your ideas. You can email us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com or connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and you can find links to all that in the show notes. Now, on to this week's episode. Thinking about consumer-directed services, patients know healthcare costs will be high, especially if they're seeking care at an AMC. They know they'll blow through a deductible with even limited interactions. And so the patient choice often comes at initial engagement with care. If patients are playing in high-deductible healthcare markets, it really does change the game. Hello, and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I am your host, Kelly Richard, and today we're back at it with the system of care. This is an unofficial part of the three-part series. We did part one, and this can be considered part 1B on channel strategy. But this time, we're focusing specifically on academic medical centers. With me on the podcast today, I have Justin Cassidy, Intelligence Director and Medicine Lead, and one of my favorite podcast guests. And then for the first time on the podcast, we have Rahul Gandhi, Director of Strategic Analytics. Welcome. Justin and Rahul. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. I spoke with Yelena Boisez in our first System of Care series episode about how health systems should be thinking differently about how patients are entering and accessing care within the system. Can you tell us a little bit about how academic medical centers have traditionally thought about their entry channels? Justin, let's start with you. Sure thing, Kelly. It's pretty easy. The three traditional drivers of referrals are the payers, physicians, and patients. Rahul, I know you've been doing a lot of analytics work. What are the traditional breakouts pre-pandemic? Qualitative pre-pandemic research showed that 80% is still largely physician-driven with the remaining 20% patient self-directed referrals. You and I can probably debate how much that proportion is shifting post-pandemic and due to emerging benefit design and by plan type, the referral decision is ultimately influenced by the payer or acting employer. That really is the table stakes in the game and why it's so valuable for our AMC members to have access to longitudinal claims data, for example, for a set amount of covered lives their markets to understand network integrity and leakage, while of course keeping an eye on employer and payer trends in the market. Absolutely, Rahul. And more than anything, AMCs benefit from their brands, and it's often their biggest asset and their risk. With payers, AMCs are often priced out of narrow networks. Payers in general are interested in the price, total cost of care, clinical appropriateness, integrated services, and clinical quality. Physicians, on the other hand, the key is relationship building and retaining those relationships over time. Also making sure to ensure smooth handoffs and integration with community providers. Make sure that they're in the loop. With patients, the key is differentiation and access. Thinking about consumer-directed services, patients know healthcare costs will be high, especially if they're seeking care at an AMC. They know they'll blow through a deductible with uh, even limited interactions and so the patient choice often comes at initial engagement with care. If patients are playing in high deductible healthcare markets, it really does change the game and depends on subspecialists, something very important to AMCs. The range, it can be quite vast on a spectrum. Going back to that 20% patient self-directed number, we see that for neurology, it is much lower at about 7%. But for other specialties like dermatology, it kind of explodes up at about 45%. These are traditional benchmark numbers, but Rahul, just how much does this change overall across subspecialists with the adoption of high deductible health plans? 
research shows that for that 20% aggregate self-referral number for changing markets that adopted high deductible health plans, that number jumped at least 10% across the board. Strategically, those would be the markets for AMCs to target for patient self-referrals for things like destination service or destination medicine programs. It's a trend that we're already seeing with direct employer initiatives. The other thing to really target is just the changing payer landscape. Emory, for instance, would not receive patient self-referrals. In the 90s, basically physician referral requirements were removed. And leadership there is still working to dispel the misconception that a referral is required. So it really takes a long time to change those consumer ingrained behaviors. It's been a prioritized strategy and operational priority within the organization to re-educate patients on the past. And this goes too for the physician-directed referrals. Emory actually has access managers that use standardized forms, templates, and protocols to ensure consistent information across their teams. And they've also adopted contact center methodology to provide direct outreach to providers with a contact center. And the goal of those sorts of visits is really to build relationships with community providers, which is really the key difference that an AMC may face with the community health system. Can I just back up for a second? I have a quick follow-up question on the high deductible health plan relationship to patient self-referral. Why do you think that is? Why is it more likely that patients will self-refer themselves if they're more or less on the hook for more out-of-pocket cost? It's such an interesting question and it reflects that re-education on the past, Kelly. It's the change of mindset that one might have in seeking care from a primary care provider first. The initial foray into the system might simply be with that subspecialist. Mm-hmm. Are we thinking it sort of moves from a paradigm of my physician manages and controls my care to I manage and control my care and I'm more aware of what's going on because I'm paying for it? That's right. It varies very much by generation. We see that older cohorts that reflect this at SG2, this patient consumerism where older Americans really do adopt that primary care gatekeeper model quite readily. And frankly, under Medicare Advantage plans, that still is a gatekeeper. But younger generations, not so much. Absolutely. It's either you use the networks, keep them narrow to direct care, or you do so with financial incentives. Given the disruption of the last year, how should AMCs look toward recovery and ramping back up their elective volumes? What's interesting, Kelly, is you talk to AMCs across the country, most are full and they've been full historically. The capacity is often a limiter. The pandemic led to significant procedural backlogs. Then we saw efficiency gains. And this is really last summer's story. Some, though, are still struggling to fill the pipeline of destination volumes, patients that would come from out of state. There's been an increased regionalization of healthcare overall. Reactivating the upstream types of services, the patient self-directed referrals, but also primary care is still a very important channel management strategy to consider. And re- Activating those sorts of annual wellness exam visits, still absolutely critical. And this varies very much between AMCs. Some have ambitions to expand their primary care networks. Some already have a distinct ambulatory presence and can draw upon that. And some are looking in completely new types of avenues. One of these new avenues is really reflected by the influx of cash into digital health. That's creating new access points, which means new referral sources. And there's an acceleration of partnerships. We've talked a lot about this and explored it in depth in research projects and seen that just kind of map out that space, one that we're constantly exploring, trying to reevaluate and see where do those digital health disruptors send patients if their product doesn't serve the higher acuity. This is a distinct opportunity for AMC specialist referrals. 
Given that AMCs are still full, do you think that they are focusing on that digital space as much? Are you seeing a lot of movement there? It's more on a capacity management strategy. So you're full, but what are you full with? When we dig down into it, you're often full with medicine DRG volumes that patients with chronic care needs that could be more effectively treated in the outpatient setting. Thinking about a partnership to kind of titrate away and free up some of your capacity for tertiary procedural activity is a common strategy. The other major trend that we're seeing is an acceleration of longstanding epidemiological drivers that are catalyzing more incident chronic care need, particularly things like nephrology and stage renal disease and advanced liver disease, interstitial lung disease for lung conditions, COVID long haul and so on. This relates very much to an alignment strategy for transplant services. And Rahul, I know you've dug deep into this recently. Absolutely, Justin. This kind of relates back to what are some of the new, whether it's transplant or some other service line for AMCs, how are they really reaching patients and what are some of the new issues that they need to address with patients to get them back into a healthcare setting, regardless of a pandemic, but just thinking about their overall strategies. Our clients should really ask themselves, how can they best deploy their existing assets by acquiring knowledge of what creates value for the patient interaction within a particular channel? Really embracing more of that consumer-centric approach And it reminds me of a recent analysis I performed for one of my leading AMC members utilizing the luxury of quality and access to care benchmarking tools and market share data that we have at our disposal at Vizian and SG2. For this member who considers themselves a premier destination center, we found that 75% of one of their destination programs they were attempting to grow were tied to patients out of their core market. Through Vizian's clinical database, we saw that their quality outcomes were superior to a national AMC cohort, as well as a custom local competitor cohort. The question is, why was their market share so poor in their own backyard? The client believed that the root cause was their referral network. They pleaded, we needed to shore up our leakage to our specialists, and that's what we want to focus on. That may be a part of the equation in a hyper-competitive market, but there were really two other more imperative opportunities that we uncovered. The first was informed by Vizian's access to care scheduling database, where access to this client's specialist was below the median AMC cohort and also variable from practice site to practice site and by physician to physician within the same type of specialty. Ultimately, for this, they decided on an operational fix, decentralizing their scheduling as well as enhancing their digital scheduling platform for patients. However, the the second opportunity was the long-term portfolio issue that was identified. The client didn't have any specialist footprint in the highest utilization growth areas. So they really needed to think about either recruitment or partnership opportunity in those high growth markets. Like many AMCs, this member was experienced as its share of M&A and activity to be a community hospital focus over time. So we'll see how things play out. But ultimately, it really does come down to striking a balance between near-term consumer-centric decisions and longer-term portfolio and workforce decisions. It sounds like it sort of came down to the ability to schedule and get into that specialist. We've seen that in a couple of different places where the AMC have the market share that they are leading in their market. But if they're not doing some of those very basic blocking and tackling on the consumer side and making it easy for consumers, they could be going elsewhere. It's about really connecting the dots between disparate data sources, not just connecting the dots, but really being able to benchmark where you stand against the market, however that's defined, if it's regional or if it's even at a more local level. 
let's move a little bit past some of the blocking and tackling, which we all know that we sort of have to do to begin with to shore up those channels. But when we're thinking about the future and any emerging channels that we think patients are going to start using to enter into academic medical centers, are you seeing anything different or interesting amongst our clients or anything new? There's so much, Kelly. It's hard to even make a list of all of them. The first is the primary care disruptors that we've been talking about for years, the teledocs of the world, virtual health and so on, but also the concierge care clinics that are emerging to serve niche populations. That's number one, particularly for Medicare Advantage cohort. Those care models, who refers and where do they refer is a really important question in every market. Second up is digital referrals. And many EMCs have built amazing digital health platforms. Jefferson Health's Jeff Connect is a great example in thinking about just how to make sure that those referrals reach the patients where they are and also patients kind of retain even within the system is an important strategic imperative. Digital platforms, different from the digital health companies, this is using big data to drive decision making for physicians. We're thinking that this could actually be an engaging physician alignment tool as we think about Mayo's digital health platform or the new ones that are being set up between many other non-AMCs. Is this the stethoscope of the future, say? And if you get the physician sticky with that sort of a platform, that could make referrals quite easy and also retain those patients over time and track their metrics. Direct-to-consumer advertising, we've seen it for some time. Pharma does it so aggressively, making sure that patients know that they have a choice. Some more non-traditional ones are things like cultural outreach. We're seeing a terrific amplification of calls for health equity and making sure to reach all patients is a very important engagement strategy. And we've seen a lot of this with vaccination. And we expect to see a lot of those lessons learned translate for other sorts of means. Another great one is celebrity influencers. Amidst the pandemic, Yale had a great partnership with the NBA for COVID testing. That actually could be an interesting channel management strategy for orthopedic volumes if those relationships are retained over time. Clinical trial conversions. Folks are engaged in clinical trials when those drugs come to market. Where do the patients go? Make sure that you can retain those connections. The recent Alzheimer's disease drug approved last week is a great case in point. Access hurdles for neurology could impede those patients and making sure that you establish good habits with the patients early on with medical care that's more longitudinal is absolutely imperative. Rahul, the biggest channel that we've seen is really AI-based triage and the AI tool that everyone uses that no one talks about or even realizes is artificial intelligence is Dr. Google. We all use it already and it's been an acceleration of recent trends. Surveys before the pandemic would show that maybe 40 to 50% of patients would Google their symptoms before going into care. Well, now essentially everyone does this. I challenge our listeners, have you ever Googled your own symptoms? And now we're seeing survey results upwards of 90% from companies saying, hey, this is an emerging opportunity. Now, the interesting thing is that patients don't always use medical terminology. They're not going to search for your academic subspecialists with the jargony words that we all can't pronounce. Otorhinolaryngology, for instance, that's a heck of a mouthful. You might say, I have an earache sort of thing in Google search. So be mindful of that as an access strategy. And then finally, this one is really risky. The idea that online reviews are often kind of being a first step, the sort of Yelps of the world. There's a whole line above them and there's increased scrutiny that some of these are not exactly reputable reviews. You might be doing everything right, but if you don't manage that, that could be an important reputational risk for your providers. That's a great point. And I think we find ourselves in this situation, too, where in healthcare, we think that it's really important to have the credibility that comes with high quality care. On the Internet, information is not necessarily being vetted. So how do you protect your reputation? 
that's sort of a newer problem in healthcare that we haven't necessarily addressed as thoroughly as we should have. With that in mind, Rahul, let's go to you on this one. What are the key challenges that academic medical centers are facing in maintaining and growing referrals? most recent or near term is really patient engagement for upstream screenings and visits. After a year of going through the pandemic, healthcare may be the last thing your patients would want to engage with, just battling that up front. But the other thing that comes back is really that the double-edged sword of social media that Justin just referred to. And the most important thing is these challenges are going to continue to evolve, but AMCs really need to just hone in on their market differentiation strategy and think about that. So just to wrap us up today and leave leave our listeners with something actionable. If you're an academic medical center looking to better understand your channels and hone your strategy, where do you start? This one's easy, Kelly. It's your relationships with the three Ps we said earlier, the payers, the physicians, and the patients. Make sure that they're longitudinal. This is not a short-term strategy. and You need to build trust and reputation over time. Think about where you're going to be as a brand 10, 20, 50 years out. It's really imperative. Tactically, you can still do things in the short term. The first with payers, unnarrow those networks. Make sure your price is on point. You may need to start cutting costs. So that feeds into your wider cost-cutting measures. Not all costs, though, need to be cut. AMCs have advanced diagnostic capabilities that are really important for clinical appropriateness of a procedure. Does this patient even have cancer? And if so, well, what subtype? That's really important negotiating tool to have those capabilities. Some AMCs bundle comprehensive services. Clearly, AMCs benefit from their multidisciplinary teams. We profiled a leading transplant center offering a bundled product to a commercial payer. They had over 67 different roles engaged in their transplant program, and that's really tough to compete with for a community hospital. We've also tracked at least 11 center of excellence types for payers, and this kind of spans the gamut. It's cancer services, spine, even cell and gene therapies have new centers of excellence. And AMCs find that Vizient's CDB benchmarking is absolutely essential for quality negotiations to gain entry into those cohorts. And finally, don't forget about going direct to employer for a payer strategy. Stanford Healthcare has an access approach to employer contracts, which go well beyond traditional payer relationships. For instance, large organizations where access is essential, kind of the large tech companies in the Bay Area, for instance, Stanford will actually go on site and determine whether a co-located clinic is needed and they'll build them co-located. Second P, the physicians, a key relationship building and retaining. Remember, all physicians trained at AMCs in the first place. So make sure you retain those strong alumni connections and outreach. Think about long-term alumni alignment. Get out of your ivory tower and offer outreach to community docs. And NYU Langone's faculty group practice does a great job at this. They build out primary care and support of specialty care. Conference participation with research findings, another great way, especially for those subspecialists. Even employee docs may refer outside of your AMC. So make sure that you're having talks with your employed faculty practice to make sure they're happy. Don't neglect those folks that you have on hand. With patients, the key is differentiation and access. We talked a bit about high deductible healthcare markets and consumer-driven engagement, but also thinking about diagnostic engagement, that new Alzheimer's disease drug is going to require a lot of PET scans, MRIs, liquid biopsies, perhaps, to monitor efficacy of the treatment over time. And having those sorts of services could be a consumer win. The other is absolutely patient advocacy groups. Very important driver. Patients educate each other for rightly or wrongly on certain types of services. This kind of gets at that risk of social media we were discussing earlier. But be very proactive and know what those conversations are engaged with to better market your services. 
finally understand digital marketing better. Thinking about geotagging searches to specific demographics in cities that you might want to be targeting, particularly for destination services, in order to plan appropriately. Fantastic. This has been a really great conversation. We really value insights specific to our Academic Medical Center members. Thank you so much, Justin and Rahul. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.